folks. Good to see you. Every week. Every week. Good morning. Hello. You know, just natural. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. See you from now on. Can we just do that, guys? Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to see you all. Nice to see you. <laughs> you can see who's over 40 here. <laughs> well, good to have you here at our gathering. Uh, welcome if you're visiting. My name's Pete, pastor here at the church. Uh, it's great to have you here. In a moment, we're going to be turning to the Bible and looking at one of the great parables of Jesus. I hope you've had a good week. I've, I've had an exciting week. This midweek, I was up in Inverness, and they, I was up there with the leaders on Wednesday night, and they're gearing up this Sunday, today. Uh, they've got their morning service in Inverness. And this evening, they kick off a new church in Dingwall, but further north. So isn't that exciting? So what they're doing is they're literally going to do a church in Inverness. Then they're going to pack everything up and relocate everyone up to Dingwall and have another service there tonight. And then from now on, they're going to be running in two places. Isn't that awesome? So you guys were very much part. I mean, you, you, many of you won't know Bill and Izzy and Kevin and Mary and many of those who went from Edinburgh about six and a half years ago to start that church. But be encouraged. That's part of our fruit. And then I'm starting another church. And also today, uh, this afternoon, after preaching Leith, I'm going across to Dunfermline. And I'm preaching across at our Dunfermline church there. And again, many of you won't be aware of this, but about a year and a half, two years ago, about 30 folks from the church here in Edinburgh went across. Well, they're from Dunfermline. They've been coming to our service this year. And we kind of released them. We have set in Dave and Leslie to, to lead the thing. And that church is now up and running, Destiny Church in Fife. And the exciting thing is, they've just been, a, a building's just been made available to them in Kirkcaldy as well. So they are not only going to be running services every week in Dunfermline, but they're kicking off a church also in Kirkcaldy uh, in the next month or so. so isn't that exciting? Wow. <clears throat> so listen, I mean, you won't necessarily know all these people, but be praying, be excited. And we're, we're kicking off our, our church planting training. Uh, well, it kicked off in September in our journey conference. But the next installment is going to be four installments through the year. Next installment's in November. We're going to have another, which will be a two-day training thing running from Gorgie here. And next installment after that will be in April. We'll be running another two-day training. And the last installment will be next September. So if you feel called of God to plant a church or be part of a team that plants a church, make sure you get along to those courses. It's also been an exciting week in terms of the miraculous. Uh, just, just hearing today that one of our dear members came to me today and said, I've had hep C because of my past, and I was prayed for at one of our meetings recently by Andrew McGreen, one of the elders, prayed for me, laid hands on, I've just been to the doctors, and I've been given all clear from hep C. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God awesome? Let's pray. We're going to turn to the Bible. God is here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You're a great God. Thank you, God. You're real. Thank you, you have a plan for our lives. Thank you, you're among us just now. God, I ask that as we take these moments to look at this great parable that you taught Jesus, I pray you'd speak it right into our heart. I pray, when necessary, you'd challenge us. When necessary, you'd encourage us. But you'd take us on a journey today, God, and we'd come closer to you and be clearer about really important things. Speak to us, God, we pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you for being willing to die on that cross and rise again so we could be saved. Thank you, you're alive now. Speak to us by your spirit, God. 
We love you. Amen. Everyone likes getting an invitation, right? Uh, especially if it's an invitation to a wedding or to a kind of an amazing do or a party or something. We love invitations. It makes us feel special. Typically on invitations, we have a little thing at the bottom saying RSVP. Now, what does that mean? Well, there was a professor one day visiting with his wife from, from Germany, and they were spent a term in, a, in Heriot-Watt University. And when they were here in that term, they got a wedding invitation. And at the bottom it said RSVP. And they said, we don't recognize this. I think that's how they speak. We don't recognize this RSVP. What does this mean? What does this code mean? So they tried to decode the codes. And eventually the husband said to the wife, I've got it. I know what it is. And she said, what? And he says, remember some wedding presents. The professor thought RSVP was a demand, but it's not a demand. It's an invitation, it's a request. RSVP, as we know, means responde silver play, which means please let us know if you're going to come. Say yes or no. You need to let us know by a particular date, and if you don't let us know by a particular date, whether you've replied or not, you can't come. RSVP. You see, your non-response is a response by default. It's a no. God offers us an invitation. God offers us an invitation of life, salvation. Now, the reality is we don't know when that deadline will run out. We don't know when. I mean, all we know is today we have that opportunity. We don't know if we'll have that opportunity tomorrow. We might not live. But we know today we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to respond to God. Imagine you were sent an invitation to the greatest of all feasts. I mean, the feast that made every other feast pale into insignificance. A king's feast. And you were given this invitation. I mean, would you not want to respond to that? And that's what this parable is all about. This is Jesus speaking last week of his life. And this is Jesus replying to the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Jesus, Jesus has just arrived in Jerusalem. He's causing havoc there. And they're about to crucify him within days. And they challenged him, by what authority do you do these things? What they meant is, what gives you the authority to clear out the temple? What gives you the authority to heal the sick and to teach such things in Jerusalem? That was their question. And in reply, he gave them a trilogy of parables. This is the third of the, of the three parables he gave them. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feasts. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who have been invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Those servants went out into the roads and gathered all They found both bad and good. 
So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But the king came and looked at the guests. And he saw there was a man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Pretty strong stuff, right? He was, he was obviously and clearly reprimanding the Jewish people for their rejection of their Messiah. But he was also making bigger points. Often what you find in Bible prophecy, it had an immediate application, but also had a long-term application. Like in this, pro- Jesus is actually predicting the downfall of the Jewish uh, of, of Jerusalem and of the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. But also he's speaking about an ultimate event that will take place at the end of time, the great feast at the end when Jesus Christ returns. So let's, let's work our way through the verses and try and unpack them and say, well, how does this impact us? What does this say to us today? Verses 1 and 2. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a feast for his son. What does this say about God? Here in the parable, God is likened to the king. God the son is likened to the son, the king's son, Jesus Christ. And the question is, what does this tell us about God? There are many views of God out there. And while people wouldn't recognize that, ah, that's what I believe about God. Here are some of the titles that are given to different types and systems of beliefs about God. So there's pantheism. Pantheism believes that God is in nature and nature is God. So the tree is God and the mouse is God and everything in nature is God. That God is not uh, uh, distinct from his creation. And we believe we can see God's attributes in creation, but we don't believe creation is God. But pantheists believe that creation is God. There's no personal God who exists apart from his creation, they would say. Deism believes that there is a being who created the universe and created the world, but he's now absent from that world. Like a watchmaker who wound that watch up and just set it running and and wants nothing more to do with it. And God has abandoned the human race. He doesn't listen to people's prayers. He's distant. He's disinterested for all eternity. He set the world in motion. He created everything, but now he's distant. There's another view of God. Many people hold to this view of God in Edinburgh. And then there's agnosticism. Ah means no, and gnosis means knowledge. It means no knowledge. Agnostics believe we can have no knowledge about God. They believe whether there's a God or not, we don't know. And if there was a God, we wouldn't be able to know what he's like anyway. That's what agnostics believe. But here in this parable, we are given a revelation. God self-discloses himself, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gives a feast for a son. You see, what we understand is this, is that God likens his relationship to the human race like a marriage. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, 28, and 29, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Doesn't sound like a distant God to me. Doesn't sound like a God that's his creation. It sounds like a God who's distinct from his creation and who's massively interested in human beings. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Whoever loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but 
They uh, feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Here's a picture of me when I was married. I've changed, I've changed quite dramatically, I think. This is 13 years ago, okay? I think things have progressed positively. <laughs> the Bible likens husband and wife relationship to the human being to God relationship. I mean, of all the analogies God could use, actually, it's not that God's relationship with us is an analogy of marriage, but rather marriage is, is an analogy of a greater reality. You see, that reality between God and man existed before marriage ever existed, that we've got to model our marriages on a far greater reality, which is the relationship in Christ and his church. And here's the thing. The Bible says, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, God didn't just think, I like the human race. God laid his life down for the human race. Husbands, you've got to lay your life down for your wife. And stop being such a hard-hearted dweeb expecting her to do everything for you. Church, we had Christ lay his life down for us. That's incredible. That blows out the water all views of God. That God, the creator, will be willing to do that for us. We see in marriage, communication is essential. We see in marriage that deep concern, one for the other, is essential. We see that in the relationship between us and God. And we see in marriage as well that provision is there. It says husbands, they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. That just as a husband has to make provision for his family, so Jesus is covenanted himself to make provision for his people, the church. That this is a God who's deeply interested in human beings, deeply interested in meeting our needs and loving us and taking us forward in life. What a God. What a God. Thank God we're not agnostics, deists or pantheists. We believe in a God who's amazing. What hope that brings. So that's what it tells us about God. This is what it tells us about heaven. You see, picture here of heaven is very different to the many Victorian pictures that people have of of heaven. In the Victorian pictures of heaven, you know, people's assumption is that heaven will be a very long, boring worship service. (laughs) Honestly, long, boring worship service. Okay, another song. (laughs) Right, you know, just for all eternity. That's people's view of heaven based on paintings and stuff. But it's not what the Bible says about heaven. You know, how many people, people agree that earth is kind of exciting, right? How many people like cities and like countryside and like hobbies and like activities and like initiating things, right? We love tons of stuff. The stuff we don't like in earth, good news, that will be eradicated by the time we, but there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, all sin and all the wickedness that makes earth bitter, that will be removed. But eternity will be a million times better than even what we're existing now. Here's how it's described in 2 Corinthians. First, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible says you haven't even begun to consider. He hasn't even entered into your mind. Now, we've got pretty good imaginations, but the Bible says we haven't even begun to imagine how incredible and how magnificent what God has for those who love him. It's incredible. So it gives, this, this parable gives us an amazing view of God. gives us an amazing view of heaven. Heaven is pictured in this parable as a party. He's inviting us to this great feast, a party. And this is the party of all parties. This is the feast of the king. 
The feast of the king's son is the most illustrious, most phenomenal party ever. Eternity, I assure you, will not be dull. It will be exciting. It will be flamboyant. It will be joyous. It will be exuberant. It will be abundant. And we could just take a whole service just to talk about that. The Bible says tons about it. It is real. It's incredibly real. Where is it? I have no idea. But it's not a state of being or a state of mind. It's not a spiritual state or like a dreamlike state. It's not. It's an incredibly real state. The Bible says when Jesus was uh, ascended in front of his disciples, he ascended in bodily form, somehow disappeared out of their view. There's a veiling has taken place. We just can't see it. I assure you, eternity is incredibly real. For whatever reason, we don't know where it is. And if there was an unveiling took place, you'd see it in an instant. And there will be an unveiling taking place as the sun comes and judges the world at the end and we'll see him. But that reality is just as real right now. The wedding feasts in, in those days, in the Middle Eastern days, typically were seven day long affairs. They started with a breakfast in the day one and they ended with day seven when the best man would give the husband-to-be to the the wife, and they would go off and consummate the marriage. Be a seven-day-long celebration and feast, and it was a great feast. But this was the feast of feasts. This is the king's son's feast. It's interesting. Human history is described in the Bible as a series of meals. Way back at the beginning in Genesis three, we see that the fall of mankind came when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God by eating a forbidden meal. We see, as, as the history went on, we see there was, uh, in the Exodus, where the, God's people, the Israelites, ate a Passover meal. And that was a moment where they were delivered from being slaves in Egypt and taken towards the Promised Land. We see thousands of years later, Jesus Christ comes. And on the Passover night, when they celebrated that annual feast, he instigated the Last Supper. And he said that we should have communion regularly and remembering in that moment his death and his resurrection until one day he will return and when he returns the bible tells us in this parable that the end of the world was signified by a great feast the feast of all feasts that we will be there verses two and three the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who'd been invited to the wedding now that might be strange, seem strange to you, call those who had been invited, who had already been invited, to the wedding. Because what you get is you get an invitation, then you turn up. But in those days, there was a two-step process for inviting people. What would happen is a general invitation would go out inviting people to a wedding feast, in principle. They didn't give a time or a date for that. They just said, do you want to come? Based on the positive response... If what would happen is they would get an idea of who's coming, they would prepare all the foods, everything would get ready, all the many preparations, which might take months, would happen. And then the moment came where the food was ready, we were ready for the party, and then they would send out the servants and say, okay, now is the time. And then people who were positively in response would then make goods their promise and come. The strange thing in this parable was the servants went out to those who were invited already, They'd obviously been invited and probably given a positive response. Otherwise, the servants wouldn't have gone back to them. But having given a positive response saying, yes, I'm going to come, now they're saying they didn't want to come. They decided not to come. They would not come. 
They willed not to come in the Greek language. There was a willingness, there's a lacking of will to do the will of God. And this has always been the human race's problem. Our will against God's will. But the humans here in this parable said, no, they rejected the second step of the invitation. Verses 4 and 5. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and all to his business. Now, we read this, but this is absolutely ludicrous. You know, you've been invited to the festival of festivals. You've been invited to the king's son's wedding. And you say, no, I've got to go work on the farm. I've got to do some business. It's like 10 Downing Street giving you an invitation. And then you've said, yeah, I'll come. And then when the day comes, when you get actually said, right, okay, this is the day. On that day, what you do is you say, no, I've got to go work in the garden today. That would be ludicrous. It's completely ludicrous. And yet, this is what human beings have done to their creator since the beginning of time. God has offered us the greatest things. And yet we have said no to God in exchange for completely secondary things. We've got so consumed and preoccupied by stuff of this life. Some of it's not sinful. You know, go to work on your farm. It's not the worst sin ever. It is bad, but it's not, it's not the worst sin ever. Uh, go to business. I mean, it's, these aren't ter- terrible sins. These are just stuff of life. And yet, these people get so caught up with the stuff of life. They were in effect saying to the king, you and your son are not as important as my farm or my business. That's what they were in effect saying to the king. How important is God? Yeah, that's a good answer. Who, who agrees with that answer? Yeah, we agree. With that. How important is God? We all think he's very important, right? How important is God to you? That's a tough question. Before you answer that, just think about it. In our heads, we say, very important. To to answering that question, how important is God to you? You say, oh, surely ultimate importance. Or maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're still kind of juries out. You're trying to figure it all out. That's okay. Great to have you here. How important is God to you? Sometimes we say, oh, very important. But then our actions completely deny that. Here's the question. Is there anything in your life you know is providing, being a barrier, a preoccupation in life, that is acting as a barrier from you progressing on in the will of God? Is there anything? I don't know what it could be for you. Something you're just saying, I'm not going to let go of that. There's an area of my life I'm not going to let God have his way in. Now we all say God's very important to us. But in reality... Is there an area in your life where you're saying, no, he's not getting touched in that. He's not going to get involved with that. I'm not going to let him have any way in that. Well, he's not really that important to us. It's just like the people in the parable who in effect were saying, God, you and your son are less important than my farm and my business. Verse 6 says, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Now, verse 5, we saw indifference. Verse 5 was people saying they would come but they didn't come and the reason was they've got a farm and a business that's kind of indifference but here now in verse 6 this is out and out hostility now this is a ludicrous and absurd story surely nothing like this would ever happen 
that a king has sent out an invitation to a wedding feast. And those who had previously said they would come now are killing the servants who have been asking them. It seems completely ludicrous, ridiculous, and unbelievable. But if you look at human history, it's that ludicrous. It is that unbelievable. You actually look at your life and my life. You look at the choices we make, you think, is that ludicrous? <laughs> is that nuts? That's so how fickle and how totally depraved human beings are. That's a picture of humanity. The king represents God. The son, the king's son represents the son of God, Jesus Christ. The pre-invited guests represents the Jewish race, specifically in this parable, represents the Jewish race. And the servants he's speaking about here were those who the father sent to announce the son. This was starting probably with John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus, the apostles, and all the other preachers and teachers who ever lived, and every believer who's testified to their faith. And the Bible here says, the rest they seized his servants, they treated them shamefully, and killed them. Here's how it went with many of those followers of Jesus. Well, John the Baptist was beheaded. Peter, after nine months in prison, was crucified upside down on an upside down cross under Emperor Nero. Andrew was crucified on a diagonal cross in Greece. They bound him to the cross rather than nailing him so that his death would be prolonged. James, aged 94, James, that's not John and James' brothers, this is James, the, the natural brother of Jesus, whose father was Mary and Joseph. James, aged 94, the younger brother of Jesus, was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Bartholomew was skinned alive in, in Armenia. James, the son of Zebedee, John's brother, he was beheaded. But the story around that is phenomenal. He was taken, this was in the early, this is in the book of Acts, you can read about it. Uh, but the, the detail of what happened is found in church history. What happened was, as he was taken to be beheaded, the executioner was utterly blown away by this man's absolute conviction and peace. Here he was about to get beheaded, and he wasn't flapping. He was full of peace. He had full assurance of God. And the executioner, so blown away by what he saw in James, he actually got down on his knee and he said, pardon me, please pardon me for what they've asked me to do. In fact, I can't do that. I can't execute you. I need the God you've got in your life. Can you pray that I get saved? And the executioner, right there in this public event, gave his life to Jesus. And the authorities decided they both should be beheaded. And both the executioner and James was beheaded. Courageous man. Matthew was axed to death in Ethiopia. Matthew, the gospel writer that we're, we're studying these parables from. Thomas was run through with a lance in the East Indies. Philip was hanged against the pillar of Heropolis in Turkey. Uh, Thaddeus was shot uh, dead with arrows. Simon was crucified in Iran. Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Mark was killed in Alexandria as part of a pagan celebration. He was dragged by a rope through the city streets until he was left dead. Jude was crucified in Turkey. Luke was hung on an olive tree by a pagan priest in Greece. Paul was beheaded in Rome. John the Apostle, they tried to execute him. They threw him in a cauldron of boiling oil in Rome. Miraculously, he survived that. It was a total miracle of God. And they didn't know what to do with him. 
So they put him on exile in an island called Patmos. And it was from exile in Patmos he wrote the book of Revelation. And he lived out his days. He was the only one of them not to die as a martyr. That's what they did. And it's ludicrous. I mean, it's crazy. He is God extending an invitation to the human race to come to the greatest feast ever. And the Jewish peoples rejected the messengers, mistreated the servants, and ultimately they were rejecting the God who sent the invitation. Verse 7, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. It says in John chapter 1 about Jesus' coming. It says in John 1, 9-12, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. This is talking about how God became a man. And although the world was made by this man, the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. So he came to the Jewish people, his own, and they did not receive him. They rejected him en masse. Many believed, but many, many didn't. But to those who did receive him, talking about those who believed in his name, gave them the right to become children of God. Do you know that that counts today? If you receive Jesus, the one who was God, took on flesh, died in your place and rose again. He's alive now. He's the Lord of all. If you receive him and put your whole faith in him, the Bible promises right here and in many other places that he gives them the right to become children of God. God becomes your dad. You're saved for all eternity. That's an amazing promise. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And that's historically exactly what took place. Jesus in another place said it would take place within that generation. And he was right. 70 AD, we saw Titus and the Roman legions marching on Jerusalem. And they ransacked the place. They killed over a million Jews. And they took over 100,000 other Jews as slaves. And they ransacked the city. They pulled down its walls They demolished the temple stone by stone. They left it like a heap of ruins. In this parable, we see right up till now, we've seen three categories of people. First category are those who are indifferent to the invitation. Oh no, I've got a farm and a business. They're kind of on the fence. It's very indifferent response. That's a response the human beings always have towards God. Then another response is hostility, where they actively get the invitation and they actively kill the messengers with the invitation. And again, that's a typical response from a human being. And then the final grouping we see in the parable are those who accept the invitation and come to the celebration of the son. Verse 8 and 9. He said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So he's saying to the servants, do you know what? Go beyond the Jewish race now. Let's tell the whole world. And this is what Jesus said. This is, this is exactly the commission that Jesus gave his disciples, having risen from the dead, just before his final ascension back to the Father. He commissioned the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And it says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Why does the Holy Spirit come? Give you goosebumps? Make you feel good about yourself? He does do that. All right? He gives you goosebumps. Yeah, he does. He makes you feel great. 
He helps you speak in tongues. Gives you prophetic words. Helps you move in the anointing of God. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. But why is it, what's the big purpose of the Holy Spirit coming? Here it is. And you shall be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. Even to the remotest part of the earth. You see, we think zeal alone is going to influence others. What we discover here is, you know, if anyone was zealous, these disciples were zealous. They'd just, they'd just gone through a roller coaster. This, this verse, was, this, this statement Jesus gave was given just after his resurrection. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him risen from the dead. When he died, they went like this emotionally. They went, whoa, right down. They thought, I've wasted my life. I've spent three years following a guy who's a hoax. This came to nothing. They didn't know what to believe. Within three days, they now saw him alive, resurrected. And they're like, they had to peel him off the ceiling. They were so elated by what they saw. Now, they probably thought, we don't even need the Holy Spirit. We'll just go and tell everyone because they have to believe in this. You would have thought that their zeal alone could have transformed the world. But even with that zeal, even with the sense of reality that those guys had in seeing what they'd seen, it wasn't enough. A strong story, a powerful testimony, an amazing zeal doesn't change the world. A person submitted to the power of God's Spirit working through them changes things in the world. Don't be a powerless believer. Do like they did. Wait for the power. Get baptized with the Holy Spirit and share your faith with the world. Thank you for your enthusiasm, but that was a good point. Now, you just clapped because I've asked, I've made that point. Okay, you didn't really mean that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. This is where now the invitation's gone from just the Jewish people. And it's saying, ends of the earth, the little roads down the alleyways of humanity. Find the worst of the worst and the best of the best and tell them about my love. Give them the invitation. Everyone's welcome. Here's the big application, folks. Are you inviting people? In this parable, the servants are the ones who go with the invitation. That isn't just the apostles. That isn't just the prophets. is isn't just John the Baptist. You get to be the inviters. We get to invite people to God. We get to tell people that there's a God who's there, who loves them, and you get to invite them to come to know him. And I want to encourage us to be serious about this. Now, actually, while I said there was three responses, indifference, number one, hostility, number two, and then number three, people accepting the invitation, in a moment we're going to see there was actually two categories of those who accepted the invitation. There was one who accepted it shallowly, they were religious type people, and there was one who accepted the invitation deeply. And see, when you're going out there and telling people about Jesus, inviting people to come to faith or come and visit my church with me and sharing your faith, when you're doing that, there will be four responses. The parable of the sword talks about exactly the same responses. There will be the kind of on-the-fence response. There will be the hostility response. There will be those who seem to get it, but it's a shallow way and it doesn't last. And then there will be those who get it deeply and it changes their life forever. So you might have to do a lot of sharing before anyone says, yes. But I want to urge you, because of the incredible love of God and because of the reality of this Savior who died on the cross and rose again, you share your faith. 
Let's be people who share our faith. Let's not keep this to ourselves. We've got to share this. We've got to get this out. I was hearing this week, there's a, there's a guy, uh, Coben, a Chinese guy, he attends our service down in Leith. We baptized him a few months ago, but I didn't know his full story until this week. Here's his story. He was mainland China. He went for a period of time to Hong Kong. When he was in Hong Kong, one day, a lady came up to him in the street and said, I have a gift for you. I said, all right, what's that? And she gave him a book. It was the Bible. He'd never seen a Bible in his life. So he took the Bible and he started reading it. And he started becoming so interested. And he was starting to stir things in him about God that he'd never considered. You know, jury was out whether there was a God or not for him. But now he was reading about God and he was being impacted by the reality of what was in these pages. He got to, he was traveling back to China and he was about to get on the plane and his luggage was too heavy and he had his Bible and his expensive pair of shoes and he had a choice to make. He chose the shoes. <laughs> I know, I know. I thought, I thought, I know how that's going to go. But no, I didn't. He chose the shoes. <laughs> right, he chose the shoes. And he got back to China and do you know what? He, for weeks, he, he lay awake at night thinking, I should have chosen the Bible. I should have chosen the Bible. And he had all these questions that the Bible had stirred in him that he was now saying, what's the answer? I need to get another Bible. Anyway, not long after that, he finds himself in Edinburgh uh, with his studies. And he was walking down Leith Walk one day and someone from our church gave him an invitation to church. He came along to our services, got saved, walking with God. Do you know what? Inviting someone transforms lives. And his wife, Ying Ying, and his little one are coming to the church now. You know, someone gave him an invitation in Hong Kong. Someone gave him an invitation in Leith Walk. You get to be part of God's saving of human beings. It's all God. It's God who's working through it all. Remember, wait for the power. Remember Jesus said that? But God just chooses to do it through you. So whether it be taking that little invitation in your seats that James mentioned, this is that little invitation. I, I carry a wee stash of them in my wallet. carry them all the time. Whenever I'm out and about, I, I'm so glad because sometimes you just get into a simple conversation. You don't even need to go heavy with people. And they just say, so what did you do at the weekend? Oh, I was at church. Church? Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, tell me about it. Oh, here we are. You can get one of these. Dead easy. And yet, you sow these seeds and it might not impact them then, but maybe one day they say, you know what? I need to get to that church. I hear countless stories that some of you are in this church, but when you were first invited, you, you weren't interested. A year or two later, you thought, I need to get there. Share. If there's hundreds of us in all our services sharing our faith with the city, I assure you there'll be hundreds more a year from now. Just share. Just tell people about Jesus. And if you feel intimidated by saying the whole thing, do what you can do and invite them along and I'll try and do the rest. You know, so when you got an invitation to the guy who was an atheist and got stung by the box jellyfish, he died and he woke up believing. That's very convincing, right? It's pretty convincing stuff. Unless you made it all up. But I don't think you did. <laughs> Ian McCormick's the real deal. You want to take those invitations. Now, not everyone would be interested in that event. That's fine. You don't need to invite. But if you think you've got friends who would be interested in that, take it along. Or you might not know people who would be interested, but you want to take bundles of leaflets and hand them out in Gorgie or in Leith or around your neighborhoods. Then go for it. We've got one shot in life. We've got a message about the greatest feast ever. About a God who sees, who's not distant from his creation, but who's interested and connected. We've got to share, share this life, share this faith. This week as well, I met a lady called Linda. Now, Linda's been coming to, again, a Leith campus uh, for 
many, many months. She's an amazing lady. Every Sunday she brings with her between two and 12 kids from the Pilton area where she lives. Every Sunday. And she's on the dole. And at her own expense, she pays the bus fare for these kids to come with her to church. Before they go, she gives them breakfast because many of them haven't had breakfast. When they come back from church, she gives them lunch. When I was at her house, she showed me her house. She's got kids' Bibles and kids' DVDs and she's got board games and everything laid out in her house. She's a widow lady. She's by herself. She's using her time in her latter... She's in, I guess, her... I don't know what age she is. She's in her latter years. She's using her time to make a difference in the lives of precious kids in Pilton. That's what it's about, folks. Anyway, this week she had... Uh, she had done her back in and she twanged a big nerve that runs down her, I think it's a sciatic nerve, she twanged it and it was all, it was tight, it felt like a rope going up her spine. She was nagging, she couldn't bend over. So me and Sammy phoned her up to see if she wanted to be prayed for and she said she'd really appreciate that. So we got to her house, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, she was still in a dressing gown, she just was in a horrible situation, she was in a lot of pain. So the Bible says if you're sick, call nail to the church and anoint with oil, they'll anoint you with oil and they'll pray and Miracles happen. So we, we laid hands on, we prayed, and she was instantly healed. Instantly healed. I mean, she, she said, it's gone. And she started jumping around like this. And she was bending down and all that. I mean, it was, she was so excited. It was awesome. Do you know what? If I was God, I'd want to heal her. I just think, you're an amazing lady. No wonder God healed you. He's, I think he's got his favorites. Look, you're amazing. I'm joking. He loves you too. But I just love that kind of thing that, you know, there's a lady inviting, just inviting kids. There's a big feast. There's a big feast. Life might not be perfect for you right now, but there's a big feast coming. There's a God in heaven who loves you and is an eternity for you to look forward to. According to the Christian Missionary Alliance, 80% of those who have received Christ as their personal savior do so because of the influence of another Christian friend. The friendships you have in God are strategic. And we, if, if, if you really love someone, one of the biggest expressions of love is to tell them about the God who loves them and then leave it to them. It's their choice. But be a good friend to them. Love them. Share with them when you can and don't force it down their throats. Just be a good friend. Love them and invite them to church. Tell them about your God. Introduce them to the God who's done that for them. You know, uh, we're also doing a, a repining of Leith. Uh, we've got our Leith campus it was originally the main campus for Destiny Church Edinburgh. Then we bought this place, and I guess the focus changed to here. So we feel God's calling us to re-pioneer Leith over the next 12 months. As of next September, we're going to add an extra evening service. We're going to add youth ministry, 12-step recovery program, and a whole lot of other things. In this next year, we're looking for 30 people who usually come to Gorgie to commit to making that their campus and to serving down in Leith. Just to give you an update on that, we've now got 20 people who are saying... Uh, some saying definitely I'm in that team others saying I'm thinking about it so we need at least at least another 10 people who are saying I'm going to do that I'm going to commit to there and I'm going to help re-pioneer Leith over the next year if you're interested in that or you want to find out more about it that information card that's in your seats leave your details just write on it interested in the re-pioneering of Leith pop it in the drop box or hand it in at the information desk and someone will get in touch with you about that verse 10 those servants who went on the roads gathered all who they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. It says in one place that this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. And then the end 
will come. God's intending to fill the place. Let's populate heaven. Let's pack it out. Let's see thousands of people that we know there. Uh, and it says, it's interesting, it says both good and bad. In other words, the invitation went wide. It was not just to be the nice polished people who've got it all sorted in life, uh, like you guys, uh, but, but to nutters as well. Yeah? Not, definitely not like you. Uh, but people who are just nuts. And then it says in verse 11 onwards, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friends, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the tenants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So here we see now the fourth category. There was first category, those who were indifferent. Second category, those who were hostile. Third category is those who are religious, but who are not saved. And the fourth category is those who are authentically saved. You know, who was the unclothed person? Well, let me give you some suggestions. It might be someone who's just interested in the benefits of Christianity. Like they, they like the idea of having a moral code in life. Or they like the idea of getting to heaven. And they don't like the idea of going to hell. Or maybe they've come to God because they've heard that you come to God and God will prosper you financially. And I believe God prospers you. And I believe you go to heaven, not hell. And I believe there are many moral benefits of being a Christian. Sure. But if that's the reason you've done it, then Jesus is your means to that end. Then you've missed the whole thing. You see, if Jesus is your means to anything, you've missed it. He is the end in himself. Everything else, take it or leave it. Prosperity, come or go. Fine. But I do believe you can prosper. Morality? No, that's not come or go. You've got to have that. (laughs) But Jesus is the end goal. And everything else is a means. Or it could be someone who, do you know what? They've just become religious. They just think, "I'm, I'm aware of my sin. I'm aware how bad I am. So I'm just going to start doing good stuff. And then God will accept me. This is an age-old fault. It's legalism. Where people try and earn God's acceptance. But you can never earn God's acceptance by your hard works. What does it mean to be clothed? Well, being clothed throughout the Bible is always in reference to morality before God. See, way back at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, they were aware that they were naked. All of a sudden, they became felt exposed and felt full of shame before a holy God. So what did they do? They instantly kind of made little garments out of fig leaves. That'll do it. Yeah, right. And it was just, this is what human beings have done ever since. They've tried to cover up our moral failures by our own attempts at morality or our own religions. And it doesn't count. And it's insufficient. And way back at the beginning, instead of those fig leaves, God instead killed an animal, skinned it, and gave them animal skins. This was a picture of how God in Christ, in the death of Christ, would pay the price so that you could be forgiven before God and be covered and clothed in his righteousness. That's the picture. It talks about it in Isaiah, Isaiah 61.10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. 
You see, some people think, ah, this is to do with, you remember when he said, go invite the good and the bad? The good ones were the ones who were closed. The bad ones were the ones that got kicked out. That's not the picture. Because the good and the bad make it because of Jesus' righteousness. The issue is, are you standing in your own righteousness? Or are you standing in his righteousness? Have you experienced his salvation? Or are you just trying to earn your way to God? Or are you just coming coming in the back door because you like the perks of Christianity? Have you got an authentic, life-change experience with God? What does a saved person look like? A saved person is someone who just utterly loves the Father and his Son and the Spirit. Loves God. You're at that banquet because you love the Son. Not because you just like foods. You're at the banquet. It's his banquet. And I'm here to celebrate him. He's your all in all. You're at the banquet and you have accepted fully what Jesus did for you on that cross and rose again. It's nothing to do with how good or bad you are. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, the person who got kicked out, who looked like they'd made it in, but they got kicked out, was someone who they hadn't experienced God's forgiveness, hadn't experienced God's salvation. Maybe they liked the perks of Christianity, but didn't love the God of Christianity. And I want to urge you, love him. Love him with all your heart. It says in the passage, many are called, but few are chosen. And here's the thing about being chosen. Your choosing of him has everything to do with his choosing of you. And his choosing of you has everything to do with your choosing of him. It looks like in the passage that the, that the plan A people, that was the Jewish people, it looks like plan A people missed it. It looked like plan A people totally missed the opportunity. And that somehow or another, oh well, we'll go to plan B then. Let's invite the rest of the world. But what we discover when we look in scripture is this. Actually, plan B people were always God's plan A. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It looked like we were plan A. Sorry, it looked like we were plan B. But in reality, he chose us before the foundation of the world. We were always plan A, as is every other person who authentically believes in Jesus Christ. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, I'm sure he chose us. He chose me before I was born, or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. And we can all say, Amen. Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this parable. Thank you for this picture that you've given us. You've painted a picture for us in our minds of your dealings with the world and of your dealings with us. And God, we see you as a God who's an amazing God. Yes, you're a God who's a judge. Yes, you're a God who will 
have vengeance against sinners. Yes, you're a God who will condemn people to hell. But also we see here, God, that you're a God of love. And you're a God who longs for the human race. And who would not quit, but kept sending out the invitation. Kept sending out the invitation. Kept sending out the invitation. God, I ask you, Father, that we would work with you on that process. That we would have the privilege of participating with God in sharing our faith with others. God, I pray for every person here. I'm asking God that you would give us the opportunity and the boldness to share our faith, not in an offensive way or in a shoving it down your throat way, but in an honest, loving, gentle-spirited, humble way. And I pray, God, God, in Jesus' name, please, God, give us success. Let many of the people we share with come to living faith in you. So why not just before God just now, why don't you make a fresh commitment to sharing your faith, no matter how scary that seems, sharing your faith with another person. that commitment before God just now. Why not also make a commitment to invite people to church? Invite people to Ian McCormick. In a few months' time, invite people to Carols by Candlelight. Ultimately, we're inviting them to the big feast relationship with God for eternity God I ask in Jesus name would you give us all the confidence and the opportunities to share our faith and to invite people to church in Jesus name and we're asking you Father would you work with us would you go before us And I pray, don't let invitations fall on deaf ears. God, while we understand some might be indifferent, some might even be hostile, we know, God, that there will be some in there who will, it's exactly what they needed to hear. And the invitation will be all they need for you just to do an incredible eternal work in their life. Okay, I'm just going to lead anyone here today in prayer. If you're here today and you think, you know, I don't think I'm saved yet. You might, you might even be religious. You might even have gone to church for years. But you've, you've come for all the wrong reasons. You're just liking the benefits and the perks or the hell that you escape rather than the son who is to be loved. Or maybe you're completely unreligious. Maybe you're like the people in the highways and the byways and the invitations come and you don't even know why you're here today. You think, man, How do I end up at church? I believe God's got his hand in your life and I believe the invitation goes to whoever you are out there, religious or unreligious. And the question is, will you come to God? Will you commit yourself to the God who gave you life? Will you accept his son, Jesus, and his death and resurrection on your behalf? So if that's you, 
I want to help you connect with him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And invite, I invite you just to pray this prayer back to him one line at a time. Just repeat this quietly after, after me. Just repeat it under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your incredible love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for being the son who died for me and rose again. Thank you, you are the Lord. You're alive now. Today I totally accept you and I ask that you would accept me. I ask you to forgive me for all my sin and to the best of my ability. From now on, I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to use excuses. I'm not going to have preoccupations with secondary things. I'm going to let you be number one in my life. Be my everything, Lord. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today as your child. prayed that prayer I believe God heard you I'd like the privilege of praying for you in order to know who I'm praying for just while everyone else is praying I'm going to ask you in a moment to identify yourself to me so that I know that you made that decision and then in a moment when you've done that I'll pray for those who made that decision so just wherever you are in this auditorium if you prayed that prayer just while everyone else's eyes are closed and praying Slip your hand up nice and clearly. Just say, Peter, I prayed that prayer. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? Just put your hands up nice and clear so I can see you. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Dear God, thanks for these precious people. Thank you for the decisions they have made the prayer that they prayed I believe you heard their prayer I believe you accept them today I ask God let this be the beginning of a new life for them and help them to plug into church so they can grow in their faith let this be the beginning of a new journey with God let them know your forgiveness let them know the incredibleness of your love right now in Jesus name stand to worship. Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.